You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome in to a second Wednesday night edition of Locked On Nets, uh, one of the most special nights in the NBA season, our, our, our Christmas Eve, if you will. The trade deadline eve, and I wouldn't want to do it with anyone but the Joshua Bass. Uh, we are going to start off by talking about the Nets recently agreed to trade with the Milwaukee Bucks, and then we'll roll through on some speculation on uh, what the Nets will do with their most valuable trade commodities. Uh, spoiler, I'm, I, I don't think, I, or at least I hope that they're kind of quiet and maybe just make a minor move. But first... Let's get into that Bucks trade and welcome on the Joshua Bass. Uh, Josh, you were you were distraught when you found out Tyler Zeller was going to a different team. I, I was so neutral. Honestly. I mean, I like <laughs> Zeller. I think he was a very did a good job as the uh, as the center this season, and also uh, kind of rescuing Nets fans from watching Mozgov uh, start every game. So, so that was nice. And, and I was in a hotel in Richmond when I found out about the trade. So I kind of uh, I was in the lobby and just looked around and said Wojbaum and see if anyone uh, was kind of feeling that vibe. But no one was. <laughs> yeah, if if a girl had locked eyes and been like, nah, oh, no, it was, it, nah, it was Shams, you you would have you would have flipped out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. You also you also Christine's. did you, you, you did consider uh, uh going to the airport and screaming Wojbaum on the way back. And and, and by by the fact that you <laughs> the fact that you made it back, I'm I'm happy I'm happy you decided against that. I I, I was encouraging you so I was actually screaming bomb, and then I would clarify that it was a Woj bomb. <laughs> no, Woj variety! And then I'd show them Willie Hernan Gomez getting traded. <laughs> you just like hold up your phone, and they're like, they like put away their guns. And like, okay, all right, that's fair. All right, yeah, so it was, uh, it was Tyler Zeller for uh, Rashad Vaughn. Was there was there a pick in there? Yeah, it was the uh, the 20. It's the second round pick of Milwaukee this year. If uh, it lands between 31 and 47, and if not, it's unprotected in 2020. So Ooh. most likely going to go to the Nets in 2020. Uh, you don't wouldn't it be between 31 and 47 this year? No, because they're I think they're projected to be uh, 52 ish. Ah, god damn it! Oh, yeah. those Bucks—they got us again. Yeah, they're in the playoffs. Um, it's yeah. So <laughs> yeah. the Nets could have could technically have two second round picks this year if Indiana and. Indiana and Milwaukee don't make the playoffs. Uh, wait, hold on. I'm, I'm confused about the protection of the pick because I know me, I, I might need to clarify this on the pod. Oh, great. Okay. In, in the meantime, uh, I'll, I'll share my thoughts on uh, Tyler Zeller leaving. I'm pretty, pretty neutral. I, I like, I, I loved what he did, but we, we, we just were fresh off singing the praises of Jared Allen. Oh, the way he's playing has made Zeller expendable because Allen is now essentially doing what Zeller was doing offensively at a higher level when you, when you uh, take into account his above the rim abilities and he he was he's been since the first time he walked on the an NBA court a better defender so I thought that made Zeller uh, expendable uh, I I don't really still despite that like I I don't know like really what the purpose was of this trade and like obviously like Zeller isn't an exceptionally hot commodity around the league like he he would have probably been out of the NBA this year or maybe signed after an injury he, he certainly would have been on an opening day roster if the Nets kind of didn't take pity on him and weren't so desperate to open this season uh that being said like I, I don't necessarily 
know the purpose of going out and getting uh, Rashad Vaughn. Like they, they just like he's had more than enough time in Milwaukee to prove himself a functional guy, and like he, he was someone from the start who who was kind of overhyped, and like the, the story on him was that he was only drafted by the Bucks because Jason Kidd and him shared an agent, and then the Bucks went into this whole tailspin of drafting uh, kid adjacent clients, and it was the whole uh, nepotistic uh, mess. I, I don't actually know if that's a word, but I, I don't know. I'm not particularly high on Vaughn. Like, I'm not really sure if he's an NBA player. Like, I don't mind the Nets taking a swing on someone they think has some upside, and maybe he plays in the G League system, and, and the Nets get a gem. So it's not the worst thing in the world, but, but this trade, again, much like you, Josh, just left me feeling very neutral. Yeah, just to clarify, um, I was correct. So that pick, oh, thank unless God. it falls between 31 and 47, the Nets will not get it. And currently it is at, I believe, uh, 51. So looks like the net they're not going to get it unless Milwaukee kind of goes into a tailspin. But just to talk about Vaughn a little bit, I thought that he's someone that I've always linked with Isaiah Whitehead. I know they were in the same recruiting class in college, both five-star shooting guards. Didn't go to uh, the most prestigious basketball schools. Um, in the 21st century. I know UNLV does have a pretty uh, historic program, but haven't been great in recent years. Um, so, But Vaughn had a good freshman season. I thought he was actually going to be really good. Um, and Obviously, you mentioned they, he had the Jeff Schwartz connection, and that's kind of why Milwaukee promised him. But he's someone that was really good in his one year at college, averaged 18 a game, 38% on three-pointers, 44% overall from the field. Has never really figured it out in the pros. I think he doesn't really have a go-to skill. And that's something that we've seen that's kind of difficult. If you can't really shoot, you're not a great athlete in really getting your shot off the dribble. Where are you going to fit in? And I'm not sure how he fits in. And I think from what we've heard, uh, just through the grapevine, people like Woj, Bobby Marks, the Nets made this trade just to mainly get the second round pick and at least a small asset for Tyler Zeller. And if Rashad Vaughn works out, that's great. But at the same time, since Milwaukee uh, declined his option for next year, the Nets can't pay more than 2.9 million to resign them even if he does have a great rest of season all right uh important question coming out of what you just said does Rashad Vaughn still have to wear the promise ring Jason Kidd gave him even though he's no longer on the Bucks oh of course yeah that, that's part of the deal that's for life okay yeah I don't know they can throw him in the G League obviously they, they put him out there in the final few minutes against the Rockets so and like I mean they'd essentially given up at that point but Maybe that was indicative of the Nets uh, having uh, a slightly uh, more favorable view on him than the rest of the league does. And again, like that, that's something like we've seen from Sean Marks, particularly this last offseason. Like him and Kenny Atkinson have their guys throughout the league that they like, and they're not afraid to. Not that they've done this with Vaughn, but they're not afraid to make a higher than market value commitment to guys they think are good, even if uh, 29 other teams don't agree with them. So maybe Vaughn, a small example of that. Uh, that, Also going back to that, I think we do have to give praise to Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson because the Tyler Zauer signing coming to the season was just like, why? Like, There's no point in this. He has no value. Uh, no real upside. They were able uh, to, to be fair. You were board. saying that more than me. I loved Tyler Zeller. Yeah, you were. You were a huge. Tyler I was Zeller smitten. Guy. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, yeah, I think that now it's good to see that they can at least kind of turn something, turn nothing into something at least. And, and Tyler yeah. Zeller came in. He did his job. He's a serviceable player. I'm not really sure why Milwaukee felt the need to give up an asset for him, but you know what? It's fine with me. Um, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm happy that Sean Marks is kind of able to recognize 
that even though Tyler Zeller was a nice surprise, you're getting good value from him, and uh, that's something you should take it into consideration. Yeah, and, that, and it's kind of very similar to the uh, Trevor Booker trade in that regard. I mean, I guess that comes down to what you think about Julio Okafor and like whether or not he's having a positive effect on the Nets or not, which which could is a whole whole another can of worms. But uh, again, like that, that's kind of the types of trades they've been pulling off. So I I I, I love the direction the front office has been pursuing. And again, uh, when, when we talk about that philosophy of really finding guys they like and kind of having, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, players that are, are their guys, like it, it makes it, it makes for a really fascinating trade deadline in my opinion, because I can't help but feel the nets will value most of their own players more than other teams value those guys and I guess you, you could argue like Zeller was like the exact opposite of that but I'm, I'm talking about kind of the the core rotation guys like players like Joe Harris uh Spencer Dinwiddie uh someone like Damari Carroll to a lesser degree but but Harris and Dinwiddie I I think are kind of the two prizes of this Nets teams in terms of players that could feasibly get traded you you would assume Karis LeVert is untouchable D'Angelo Russell I don't even know if he's allowed to get traded yet? Uh, maybe he is because Blake Griffin was right after signing. Yeah, no, you're allowed to get it traded. I think December fifteenth, okay. sure. when uh, everyone can get traded. Okay, all right. So D'Angelo Russell is allowed to get traded, but I, I would, I, I don't know. Well, do you want to? Uh, let me hear your thoughts on this. Do you, do you think those two would be the two guys that like I would be most shocked if they're traded? And like in my opinion, are totally untouchable. Oh yeah, I mean those two and Jared Allen, I'd say are. Oh yeah, uh, I didn't even think about those three are not going to be moved under any circumstance. <laughs> what if uh, <laughs> just send Jared Allen for LeBron right now? No, nobody <laughs> promised. No. <laughs> That'd be fun. All right. Uh, okay. So let, let's let's just let's start out this conversation by taking those three off the table. Also, Mozgov. I, I, sure. No and I think again, Mozgov and Crab are, are not tradable for other reasons that I think their contracts are too bad. Like Crab is like is a tiny bit more feasible than um, than Mozgov is because no one wants Mozgov. Unless they, I guess the only way those guys would get traded is if you were attaching those contracts yeah. as well, if you really as an penetrate the Russian market. Yeah, well, you no, you were getting sure, but you were you were trading a team, uh, Dinwiddie or Harris, as incentive to take on one of those two contracts. So I, I think that would be I dumb. Mean, that, that's the yeah. one to get it done. There's no, I mean, if they could attach uh, one of those guys to Mozgov and and have that off the books, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But there's no way that it would take anything less than uh than multiple first round picks. Okay. I'm not sure if I would do that, but all right. So let's just say that that's fair. We could we could argue that a different time. All right. So Dinwiddie Harris, and then I guess the guy I'm forgetting there is. is do you see Rondé as someone who could feasibly be dealt? So I've heard that the Nets are at least listening to offers on Rondé, but it's going to take a first round pick and them really getting blown away. And I think that there is some uncertainty to how he would fit on a team because. The main contribution he's made this year and his main improvement is as a, a scorer um, and being one of the main options on this Nets team. And any team he would go to that would co- want to acquire him, he probably wouldn't be one of the top two or three options there. So how would he fit in necessarily as a role player instead of being one of the more featured guys on offense? So I, I think that I wouldn't see any team trying to give up a first-round pick for him just because all these first-round picks are just being forwarded right now. And there is some uncertainty as to regards to Rondé's contract because he is up for extension uh next year yeah and uh i i want to i want to get more into that and i i tend to agree with your thoughts on it josh but but first i wanted to 
shoot out uh, a little uh, advertisement for our friend of the pod, uh, Josh Lloyd, uh, from 2 to 3 p.m. tomorrow, uh, our, our Australian hunk, as we like to refer to him around the Locked On uh, podcast uh, email chain, uh, is doing a Periscope from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, kind of uh, wrapping up and breaking down everything that's going on with the deadline. And Josh, I haven't even talked to you about this, but we have a standing invitation to come on that Periscope, even though we will both be at work if the Nets make a trade during that period. So I'd check it out, particularly if the Nets make a deal, because you can uh, theoretically catch at least me on there. I don't know if Josh would have any interest, probably not. But uh, you could catch me, or you could just kind of uh, keep up with everything that's going on around the deadline if you're a general NBA fan with local experts from each team. So that's uh, Josh Lloyd. I think I'm pretty sure that's his name on Twitter as well. Uh, find him there, host of the Locked On Fantasy Podcast, which I'd encourage you to uh, follow, regardless of if you check out that Periscope or not. But yeah, that's a pretty cool opportunity to keep up with the deadline uh, with local experts. All right, uh, yeah, let's get back into that Hollis-Jefferson discussion. Yeah, I don't know. I think out of I'd, I'd be much more comfortable dealing him than uh, Harris or Dinwiddie. Because I, I don't know. I mean, you can we could have like a long conversation um, about this, but it, it's I, I'm like I'm, I'm not sure how he fits into the Nets' future because they've had like so many stretches where well now two solid one where where he's been injured, and it doesn't seem like the Nets fall off that much offensively, but they've also lost seven of their last eight games and he's missed a bunch of those. And there's obviously like 20 other factors you can attribute that to, but, but uh, you, you said it with his defense falling off and, and like that, that kind of switch off, I, I think is one that the Nets coaches will take for how good he's been offensively and like kind of the stunning leap he made on that end of the floor, but it does make him less valuable overall. So I'm, I'm, I'd be really fascinated to talk to Sean Marks or, or give him truth serum and like see how truly integral they think Rondé is to their future. Because coming into the season, even when he was an objectively worse player, he seemed like he was one of their more valuable pieces. But given the way other guys have developed, it, it almost seems like he, if, if he hasn't fallen by the wayside, he's not maybe top of the list anymore. I don't, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's an, an interesting point. And I think that. Um, Jared Allen is someone that's really come along because he has a lot of extra space to work with. And now when he's playing the four, um, it's either alongside AC, who's primarily operating at the three-point line, Damari, who can shoot threes, James Webb the third, who, even though he can't really shoot threes or hasn't at least proved it yet, he's still standing <laughs> at the three-point line. So, he scares people. Yeah, I don't know how RHJ and Jared Allen would kind of fit in that if they could ever play well together. And under that assumption... I think Allen has shown more promise just this season and has the potential to really develop into an all-star type center. And really, I would pick him over Ronda if I had to choose one of those two. Yeah, no, I didn't. That, that's a great point. I didn't even really consider like the uh, the spacing element of it. And, and you're right. It is kind of fascinating that his kind of uh, mini leap that we've seen has coincided with Ronda being out. And, and maybe that isn't so much of a coincidence. So that's definitely an angle and kind of an argument in favor of trading him. So we'd say Rondé is is someone they could. It wouldn't it wouldn't blow my mind if they traded him though. I, I don't know. It's like would you would you be not I, heartbroken, strong, but would you be like kind of sad to see him go with like the way he's like developed in Brooklyn and how he's kind of been, if not the face of the team, definitely one of like the main like tertiary guys in in these lean years on the Nets. Or would you would you be packing his bags? No. I, 
A, I don't like to peck anyone's bags. Uh, <laughs> yeah, make a rule of that. As it, when it comes to that. I mean, just mainly myself. No, but I think Rodney's been a great guy. and He uh, seems like a really nice person that everyone gets along with. I know that he's good friends with guys like Lynn um, and, uh, and Karis Levert. And he seems like a really sweet guy. And I, his friendship with Lopez was great to see also. Um, I think he's a great presence for the locker room, so I wouldn't want to see him go. But I think you have to prioritize, and if he was someone that would resign for seven or eight million a year, I'd say yeah. But I think he's going to want a contract, uh, definitely in the double figures when he hits free agency. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I I don't know if another team's giving that to him. All right. Uh, yeah, speak, speak, speaking of overreaching contracts, uh, Damari Carroll, I would say out of the four I listed. Maybe the next most feasible guy that could get traded, and and it's kind of fascinating because there was a surprising amounts of uh, of Nets talk when uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, he of the aforementioned uh, Woj bomb, uh, dropped on Zach Lowe's podcast, and they were they were talking trade deadline. They spent again a decent amount of time on the Nets, and and, and he was saying there is like a fascination around the league with Damari Carroll just because there is a dearth of talent at that three spot and guys with playoff experience who can play good, if not elite defense, incredibly hit three pointers, which Carroll with this recent hot streak has proven that he he's capable of doing. And maybe with better teammates, could he be even more efficient at doing um, is someone who, despite a contract that necessitated the Raptors giving up a first round pick to trade him this off season uh, could prove to be valuable to a contender. So Josh, I'll, I'll throw him out as the next name for you. Uh, do you see him being dealt tomorrow? Do you think there's a decent chance of that happening? I mean, uh, I, I, I wish it was honestly, because I think that with Jeremy Lin looking like he's going to opt into his contract next year, if they can possibly get off of Damari Carroll's contract, even for not a great asset, but maybe um, a similar type player who's going to be expiring this year and save that $15 million for, for next year and maybe have some more wiggle room to work with and, and using that money, extra money to take on uh, more assets if uh, along with bad contracts. I think that would be helpful, but I don't know who necessarily can fit in Damari Carroll um, with with his $15 million salary and also how sensitive the Nets are going to be to taking on more bad money. So I, I think if they can get a first-round pick whatsoever, uh, I guess similar to a deal last year, where they got the first round pick for the from the Wizards and also took on Andrew Nicholson's terrible contract in exchange for Boyan Bogdanovich, I would do something like that. But I just don't know how available that is. Yeah, and and, and you kind of go through the teams. Like I don't really see like another team that would be like obviously interested in trading for him. Like you go through like the other top contenders in the East. Uh, Boston, uh, I don't I don't think they really need him with their young wings. Toronto, obviously not. Uh, Cleveland could use him, but I, I don't think they'd do a trade like that unless they were getting off uh, some money of their own, and that would defeat the whole purpose of doing it for the Nets. Uh, the Wizards, again, like someone who would be like a nice bench piece for them. I don't know if they necessarily have the cap room. The Bucks and Nets just did their deal. And then the rest of the East like doesn't really need to spend money on a forward. Uh, the Rockets and Warriors seem pretty set, and neither of them are spending more money at this point. It would be kind of uncharacteristic of the Spurs to trade for him, though. I think I, I don't know why. Now that I say that, I feel like he'd be kind of a good fit in San Antonio. But again, they don't—they're not really a team known for their deadline moves. Uh, Minnesota, I don't really think has the money for it. Oklahoma City, 
could could actually use him in Roberson's spot, but but same deal. I, I don't know if the finan- I, I'm 95% sure the financials don't work out if they harbor aspirations of bringing Paul George back. And then, again, the rest of the West is kind of irrelevant. So there's like a very limited pool of teams that I think would be interested in him. And, and even if teams were, I, I'd kind of caution with the fact that I, I think there's a reason he's thriving in Brooklyn and he's kind of playing in an ideal system for his skill set right now, a really wide open floor that allows him, even though he's not the quickest guy, like he is getting like four to six points a game just off drives in a way that he wasn't really doing in Toronto and kind of their clogged toilet offense but with a wide open floor he can bully guys occasionally when he has a step on them or they're like recovering off another player and I'm not sure if he'd be able to do that on another team and and again like that relationship with Atkinson and Atkinson empowering him I think is what has is what has accounted for him being so much better in Brooklyn than he was in Toronto. So I don't know if another team would be getting the same product that he's shown this year. So because of that, I, I kind of, oh, those factors combined, I lead towards him staying in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, what about a team like Denver? Could they use him? I feel like with uh, with Millsap still out, um, he could kind of fill that, that combo forward role. Yeah, I guess like theoretically they could flip someone like, uh, Wancho, uh, Hernan Gomez, or like Tyler Lydon, like just because they have like Normally Beasley also. I know he's been uh, he's fallen out of favor there, but he has definitely has talent. Right, and they and they just have that. Denver is like a team. Like if I was like if I was trading at the deadline, like I would want to target just because they have like more like depth of young talent than like any other team in the NBA. Like they they're really like fourteen young guys deep of like who are all look like they could be something down the road. So uh, that'd be, that'd be kind of fascinating. And I am even outside of a Nets context, I'm, I'm fascinated to see uh, what they do uh, tomorrow. All right. uh, So Damari Carroll, uh, I guess that's a potential destination to him, but all in all, I'd say there aren't that many teams that would want him. And then the two guys that I think are, are clearly the Nets most valuable pieces that they could feasibly trade are uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris. So let's start off with Harris who like is, has, has been, great this year and it, but it's clearly uh, a little bit lower in the uh, pecking pole than uh, Dinwiddie is. I, I would, I'd personally, as you well know, Josh, and I might as well be talking to our listeners too, because they're aware of it at this point. I, I would be heartbroken if they traded Joe Harris. And I don't, I don't think they will, because I really do think he's, he's such a perfect fit for what this team wants to do. And I think uh, anyone's making a mistake if they underrate his ability to get to the rim and what that's done for the Nets offense. Like every time his offense bogs down, like I always expect it to be like a star guy who revs it back up, like whether that's Russell or Dinwiddie on some nights, LaVert, but just as often as any of those guys, it's Joe Harris, like taking it to the rim, creating space, hitting someone off a cut, getting Allen on a dump off or hitting a big three. And like he, he's to me, like represents along with Dinwiddie, the heart and soul of this team. I think he's such a smart player, such a good shooter, just so solid in every aspect of the game. He, he, despite being unconventionally so, is a foundational piece for this team, and I think it would be a mistake to deal him. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's so tough because I think a lot of it depends on how much they think they can resign him for, and if he wants seven or eight million dollars a year, that's going to be a hard pass. But if he'll be willing to resign for four million a year, let's say on average, um, and really loyal to the Nets because they were able to jumpstart his career, then I don't think anyone they get with a second-round pick, if that's all they can get for him, is really going to be worth uh, giving him up and really giving up their top three-point shooter. I'll, I'll throw this out there, and I know you'll disagree with me on this, but for the same amount of money, I would rather have him than Rondé. Like, I, I legitimately think he, he's a better player. Than Rondé? Yeah. Well, 
I think that I think he's better at his role, but Rondé's a more can do more on the court. Sure, but I'm saying like in the like context, Rondé's isolation scoring has been invaluable to the Nets this year. Okay, I, I think in the context of the Nets and how they want to play, spacing the floor and shooting a lot of threes. I think Joe Harris, who a uh, good good stat alert from one of the games recently, second in the NBA in in three point percentage above the breaks, and he doesn't really get corner threes because of how he's used in the Nets offense. Um, I, I think he is is more valuable to the Nets, which I never thought I would say at any point this year. But he is he's proven uh, all my uh, preconceived notions about him wrong. And and can Stauskas do what he's doing? Kind of no, I, mean, I, I really I really don't think so. Like I, I think like with how solid he is defensively, like how strong he is going to the basket. And frankly, I just I don't think Stauskas is as good of a shooter as he is. Um, so no, I, I, out of a hundred threes in his backyard. I, yeah, that was, that was incredible. You, you might be right. And he has a cooler nickname than Harris too, but, but here's, here's, here's the flip side of that. And here's the side where I think you'll be able to get on board a little bit more. Like, what are you getting for Joe Harris? Like there's not, no one in the NBA is giving you a first round pick for Harris. Like maybe, maybe, maybe Cleveland would give you like their first pick for him, but I, no, I wouldn't, no I, I mean, even if they would, I wouldn't do that. Like the guy you're getting at 28, I think. 80 to 90 percent is not going to turn into the NBA player that Joe Harris is right now. Like I, I so Cleveland be at 28. That means they really uh, pick it up at the end. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I guess that's fair because they. But also, you have to think about if the Nets have, let's say they have. I don't think that Cleveland's going to trade their first round pick for Joe Harris, especially considering they let him go a few years ago. Yeah, no, the optics would be great. But uh, if the Nets can get another pick in the low 20s, maybe they package uh, that up with the Toronto pick and maybe something else. a smaller asset that they have and maybe all of a sudden you're looking at a late lottery pick a early teens pick so you know i think that you always have to consider when you're trading for an asset what is that asset going to be worth in the future and seeing how uh, it could be packaged in with other assets to kind of um maybe to wrap it up into a, a nice little bow and see who what the takers are i mean if you have rashad vaughn that doesn't look great by itself but i mean rashad vaughn james webb the third uh, Isaiah Whitehead, Milton Doyle. What's that getting you if you combine all four of those players? The poo-poo platter. Uh, I, I, pick? Yeah, maybe. Uh, all right. I want to like – uh, Yeah, uh, no, 100%. And I, I wanted to uh, quickly throw out there that we will be recording a, another uh, Nets podcast tomorrow if uh, if everything goes well because I know sometimes we promise and then life gets in the way and, and we don't. But we are planning on getting you a recap of the Nets deadline Uh pretty much as quickly as possible as we can, which will probably be sometime tomorrow night and a recap of that Piston game. Yeah. All right. So Harris, I, I'm with you. I think I think if he's dealt, it would be part of a, a larger package. Because again, like I, I think like one for one, like given what Harris does for the Nets and like in my mind, he's more valuable to the Nets than he'd be on almost any other team. Like I think the Cavs could – even though, again, the Cavs are so far gone at this point. Like, if I'm them, I'm not even thinking about getting better. But he, he'd he be really useless for someone like the Cavs. I think uh, kind of like uh, Damari, he'd be a, a great spur. But uh, I don't know. I see him, and I think he'd be a great role player. You know you know a team that could really use him who would be really good on? Uh, Oklahoma City. Like, when, like, couldn't you see him, like, feel, like, jumping in the Roberson role in that starting lineup and just getting open threes for the next 40, 50 games? Yeah, no, I think he'd be he'd be good at that. I don't think he's as good of a defender. No, um, no, no, of course not. But, but yeah, yeah, no, he'd fit in well there. Um, it's kind of funny because they were always kind of it, it's like, and that's like again, like credit the Nets like for what they've done, like finding guys 
off the scrap heap, but like he's like kind of like the fifth guy, like the Thunder were like always looking for in, in, in those years, like when they had like Durant, Westbrook, Ibaka, and then like Stephen Adams in that starting lineup. Like when they needed just one more dude, like he, he would have been, they really just needed someone like him who could shoot and like hold, hold up on defense and also was like tough enough that like if teams were just like uh, hounding him in the playoffs, like he could make a play on the dribble if they were overplaying for the three. So I think that's kind of ironic that the Nets just stumbled into that guy that this like NBA superpower was like kind of searching far and wide for year after year after year. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely uh, – and let's do a good job of finding those diamonds in the rough. So that's, that's one thing I'll say. All right, uh, we're going to finish this up with uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, another guy I would be absolutely heartbroken uh, if the Nets traded. And I know you and me and our the group chat where a part of has gone uh, back and forth on this before. And, and the question would be, uh, could they fetch a first-round pick for Spencer Dinwiddie and even though I, I think, like, on that Woj Low podcast, they were undervaluing Harris. I think, like, Low, like, accurately said, like, if you're the Nets and you're trading Spencer Dinwiddie for a first-round pick, like, what are the chances that, like, that guy is going to be better than Dinwiddie? And I guess that's, like, that's the story anytime you trade for a first-round pick. You're, you're trading not, especially, like, now when you don't know, like, what spot the pick will be and, like, who the prospect you'd likely get in that spot would be. You're kind of trading for the variance you get for that pick and not necessarily, like, the average result. But I think if you want to play the percentages, like, again, the odds are, even if you're trading Dinwiddie for a first-round pick and you can question how many teams would be willing to give a first-round pick for him, I think odds are Dinwiddie's going to be a better player than whoever you get with that first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, I would not trade Dinwiddie for just a first round pick. I mean, he's been so good this year and that's with a positive plus six net rating with him on the court. I mean, I can't, I don't think, I think it's been understated how good this guy's been. I mean, turning into someone that was a solid backup last year into now a solid starter. I mean, that jump is, is not something to be taken lightly and him being on the books for essentially the minimum next year. That is so valuable. And I think that if he were to be gone, there'd be so much instability. All of a sudden, D'Angelo Russell's minutes need to ramp up. Uh, now you have him and Levert, and if one of those guys gets hurt in it, they both shown that they have some injury problems in their career. Now all of a sudden Isaiah Whitehead's playing significant minutes, and you're kind of at a loss uh, in your point guard rotation, which is what happened last year. So I think Spencer Dinwiddie, the 30 minutes he can give on a nightly basis, and that solid production of 13 points, seven assists, and really being the uh, shepherd of the offense and also a solid defender, he needs to be on this team for for next year. I don't see. Uh, unless you're getting a significant package, you're packaging Dinwiddie with someone, something else, and getting a uh, maybe a late lottery pick. I don't see any way that they can just trade him and and ruin all the progress they've made in that regard. Yeah, I've I've, I've said it before, and again, like this is I'm, I'm definitely a little bit biased in this because they're like kind of just like the guys like I aesthetically like watching, but in my mind, uh, Allen, Jared Allen, uh, Dinwiddie. Joe Harris and Karis LeVert are, are kind of the foundational piece of this team. And obviously, like, the Nets front office would would include uh, D'Angelo Russell in that group. I personally have more questions there. But anyways, you, you want to say if it's four guys or five guys. To me, like, and, and this is if you want to take away anything from the podcast, at least from my perspective, uh, this would be it. Like, those are the guys, like, I'm, I'm, I'm swinging with and I'm betting on. And, like, obviously that's not the core of a team that's going to win a championship one day. But if I'm, I'm building, like, a Spurs-like infrastructure like those are the types of guys i want to go to war with so that that's kind of my takeaway from all this and then and then i'll throw this out there as a final note because josh i know you need to get to sleep and i i too i do as well um i i think dean witty is going to be 
quite a bit more efficient down the second stretch, second half of the year. Uh, once he gets a break for the All-Star Games, I think he wore down a little bit physically. Plus, I, I think we've seen flashes of this um, over the last couple of games. I think All-Star break will really give uh, Kenny Atkinson a chance to incorporate more sets like this. But when, when Dinwiddie's been in with either Levert or Russell, like at points it's awkward. But at points, you, you see kind of a multiplier effect of having two guys out there um, with that level of talent because they didn't really have that luxury when D'Lo was hurt, and they don't have that luxury uh, now that Levert is hurt again. But when you have two of those guys out there, they get plays where they get to attack a scrambling defense. And, and for so often, Dinwiddie, who, who's never been the focus of an NBA defense in his life, was going against ones night after night after night that were geared to stop him. I think that will shift a little bit in a positive direction as the season goes on, and he'll be better for it. So that, that's another reason not to trade him. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that uh, his efficiency is definitely going to improve after the All-Star break and, and give Kenny Atkinson some time. I mean, he's a mad scientist, and, and once he has a week to kind of figure out everything and really work into the intricacies of how this team's going to work together, I think he's going to be um, – I think it's going to be uh, some great synergies – that are going to be applied because you have to remember at the beginning of the season, Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't a big part of the team's plans. Karis Levert was thought of as like a wing type, not really going to be a lead ball handler. And it was going to be the Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell show. And now things have changed in 50 games and we have a much different team. And Jared Allen's really come along a lot quicker than people thought. So I'm excited to see uh, what Atkinson comes up with after the All-Star break. All right, that's an awesome way to sum everything up. Uh, For Josh, I'm Gavin. Again, uh, tune in uh, if everything goes well. We will have a podcast tomorrow night reviewing uh, everything and anything uh, pertaining to the Nets' trade deadline and uh, the Nets' loss tonight against the Detroit Pistons. Until then, be well. Peace out.